everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, and we've got a very, very special episode tonight. This is a special non-wrestling episode. We're going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to take you back into my life, into my childhood, and introduce you to a young man that was an integral part of that childhood. And as fate would have it, he wouldn't know it at the time, but somebody would strap a rocket to his hiney and he would take off. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to my very dear friend, Steve McCoy. Steve, say hi to everybody. How you doing, everybody? How you doing, Angelo? And thank you, first of all, for that young man compliment. That was nice. I appreciate it. Now, Steve, it. I, uh, I mentioned at the uh, intro... You and I knew each other uh, as as younger people. Uh, we met probably, so I know you're like a year older than I. I think you may have been like 13 or 14. I think I might have been 12 or 13. Well, yeah, we met we through my cousin, Chris Borgese, my cousin. Oh, yeah. yeah. How's Chris doing? The last I heard, he was a toll taker on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Right, right. So that's the, and I haven't talked to him in probably 20 years. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, families drift apart. And we're going to talk about that too. Um, yeah. I got to say something about Chris. It was pretty funny yeah. because uh, I was working in Atlantic City and I, I was, I went, I was, it was the afternoon. It was one of our days off. And I went up to Philly to go down to South, uh, to South Philly to go over and see some friends of mine or whatever. And uh, I was going to go to Nick's Roast Beef. So I was going over the, I was going over the, uh, the uh, Walt Whitman Bridge. Yeah. Right? Sure. And as I'm going over the Walt Whitman Bridge, here I go to give my money. And it's Chris. And he goes, That's Steve McCoy. Funny. I went, oh, my God, Chris Virginia. I said, yeah. my God. Uh, yeah. Was, yeah, he was, was cool. a toll taker on the bridge for a while. He's actually working on the uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike now. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like my back here? How do you like, huh? I love that. I love Vegas at night. That's beautiful. That is absolutely gorgeous. So now, beautiful. let's talk a little bit about uh, you and I. We met when we were younger. I should tell people if uh, Steve McCoy looks familiar to well, he should look familiar to you. Um, he is, quite frankly, the world's foremost Tom Jones tribute artist. And when you have the blessing of the master himself strapping a booster rocket to your butt, you got nowhere to go but up. And brother, you took a ride. And I want you to tell that story and spare no details because it is... I want to tell you something, and I'm and I said this privately to you, and I'm going to say it for ninety thousand people to hear. I am proud of you. I am so proud of you. I'm proud to know you. Proud to call you my friend, and I'm so proud to see that a hometown boy did good, because Barrington, New Jersey, is a sleepy little town where nobody does anything and nothing happens. Well, a lot happens. It really does. There's a lot happening there. There's a lot of good people in Barrington. It's, oh, yeah. No doubt. It's a good place. It, it was a great place growing up. It really was. Yes, I'm it serious. was. It was a lot of fun. 
I had a lot of fun. And I, um, my next door neighbor across the street was Pete Caffrey. He was my best friend. And uh, him and Ed McGurk. You remember I remember Ed. that. Yeah. I remember Ed. Uh, Ed went on to be a, uh, a carpenter. And uh, he's in the union. He just retired. God bless. I, I, I forget how many years he put in there, but he was quite a while. Yeah. Anyway, um, when we were kids, you know how everybody used to play uh Cowboys and Indians or combat or whatever it is. And we would, uh, we would play all these different games and stuff like that. And I remember uh, down in my basement, uh, Pete, we used to play Elvis Presley. It was kind of funny. It's a funny story. And, and Pete was Elvis Presley. And Ed and I were always the two thuds. You know, sure. So we would fight. We would fight back and forth, the two of us. We would break tables or we'd hit each other. And I mean, we were nuts. We were crazy back then. It was absolute nuts. And uh, I had a little photograph, phonograph out, a record player, a little one. I mean, you know, and the first record that I ever played on there was Elvis Presley's Good Luck Charm. Sure. And uh, I was, I'm, a, I'm a major Elvis fan. I love Elvis as well. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Actually, we're going to talk about that. That's on my list, too. Because I oh, have an great. Elvis connection. A big Elvis connection. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. Who is it? Charlie Hodge. He was my dear friend. Oh, oh, I knew Charlie. I knew, I Charlie. knew Charlie very well. Absolutely. Anyway. Any, any, anyway. We would um, we would play Elvis, and Pete would pantomime to the record. Yeah, he would. If he, he had passed away at at uh, eighteen, great, an absolute great guy, uh, well loved, well loved in the community, well loved in the neighborhood. Everybody looked up to him. Yeah, do you remember him? I do, I do. Yeah, he was uh, he he was very athletic, really athletic, and. Yeah, and a really great guy. Um, I remember. Uh, I remember Steve at the time. Pete's passing oh. shook the neighborhood pretty good. Woo! Yeah, very bad. Yeah, I mean, he was. You know, he was a strapping young Irish lad, and um, a good kid, and athletic. I mean, in everything he did, everything he did, he excelled in. Sure. And he had just graduated high school, so. It's kind of sad, kind of yeah. sad. But, um, I remember, I, I, so, Pete, so Pete would do sing these songs. And I remembered, I, I always wanted to do that, and I, I couldn't do it. I mean, Pete would be sitting there singing, oh, come on and be my little good luck charm, you know. And, we, <laughs> and Ed and I would ultimately be in the background fighting. We would... <laughs> I'm serious. Crazy, crazy kids. Find, we would find trash, uh, trash pick, and find old tables and stuff like that, and we drag them down my basement, and mm-hmm. we would literally, because we watch John Wayne all the time. Sure. You know, John Wayne. He they they throw each other into a table. Well, they were fake tables, not <laughs> our tables. They were real tables. 
So we would throw oh. each other on the table. I'm, I'm dead serious. Don't you remember doing, don't you? I, I do, but you know, it's funny. You know, I was the Elvis fan, but I was also the wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, because we used to throw each other. Chris and I, Chris Borgesi and I, used to. <laughs> yeah. Because he was a hell of a little wrestler, believe it or not. Oh, and yeah. we used to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> we would hit each other with chairs, throw each other through, you know, picnic tables. That's it. That's oh, exactly it. Remember I mean, those beach chairs with the. That was netted with the netting on it. We used to hit yeah. each other. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I, I remember. It. Oh my God, it was crazy. Remember, it was uh, George Hamilton came out with Evil Knievel. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember I got a Stingray bike, I got a pea picker. Oh, yeah. Stingray bike, the banana seat had shock absorbers on it. Well, we went, we used to go every Saturday morning, we would go to, to the coronet. Then it, yes. was, it was originally the century, then they changed it to the coronet. Coronet then they changed theater, it. yep. Absolutely. Yeah, up there in Haddon Heights, right? Right on the corner it's, of uh, White Horse Pike, right? Yeah, Steve, it's now an AT&T store. Is it really? It is. Wow, it is. that was a... It was a beautiful it, theater. It changed. Uh, the uh, owner of the movie theater sold it, and it became a theatrical costume supplier. And they they okay. uh, they supplied costumes to Atlantic City uh, and New York and Philadelphia for their uh, stage productions. It was a big-time operation. Well, the guy got so big, he had to sell that building, and he now has a warehouse. So he sold the theater to AT&T, who now has a phone store there. No kidding. You can't make this stuff up. So they didn't, did they tear the theater down or no? They did. They did. They did. It's a completely new structure, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was a beautiful, that was a beautiful building. That was a gorgeous theater. Hey, hey, Angelo, it was a... a quarter on yes, a Saturday quarter. And we I would remember. go and see the movies. I mean, at, at that point, back in the 60s, Elvis Elvis was in the movies. Uh, you know, he always was coming out with movies. Sure. Absolutely. We would, we would, yeah. Him, John Wayne, Jerry Lewis. Oh, my God. Sure. You know, we'd go see these every Saturday. We'd go see a new movie. And and my mom or or, or Ed's mom would drop us off or we yeah. would walk. We would walk, walk the railroad tracks, climb the hill. You had to climb up the up the uh, concrete wall and jump yeah. over the wrought iron fence. I mean, when you're a little kid, that was something to do. And it's still there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Jerry Lewis because I actually saw which way to the front at the Coronet movie theater. <laughs> I know. I yeah. th- this is probably boring the hell out of people. I'm. Oh I'm no! So- this, this is we're, we're taking people down a, a road down memory lane here, taking them on a journey and maybe are reliving their childhood. From, are there a lot of people from the South Jersey area? Oh my God! Yeah. Oh please! Oh, really? Are you kidding me? 
Really? I would probably say that 60% of my audience is between uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. No kidding. I'm not even kidding, for real. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Down we the shore, down in at all? Huge presence here in the Northeast. Big time. That's, that's great. Yeah. Now, um, what a lot of people may not know, and they look at you and they, they see the photo behind me, it's pretty clear you resemble someone rather famous. Just a little tiny bit. More than a little bit, actually. Tell everybody uh, who this famous person is that that people say you look like? Well, I, uh, as I told you, we used to, we used to play and have fun, uh, imitate Elvis, imitate Elvis Presley and all that stuff. Well, I'm telling you, as I was getting older in the, like around 69, uh, 70, Tom Jones came out and I didn't look like Elvis Presley. But I had that curly hair and I looked like Tom Jones. And I remember going to see Tom Jones in 1970 at the Latin Casino. I remember it well. Where the, the marquee, it didn't, you know, all the, all the stars would go there and perform. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, was sure. And I saw, I saw Jerry Lewis. I saw Sammy Davis. I saw uh, uh, Tony Orlando. Oh, my God. I, I, oh, sure. I, Frank just, Sinatra, Dean Martin. Right. Yeah. Everybody played there. And oh, it, was, yeah. it was a legitimate nightclub. Yes. Tom Jones was there. The marquee read, he's here. Yes. That's he's all it here. said. That's all it said. He's here. He's here. We, we went to see him. I believe that I was 13 years old. I can't remember exactly now. But 1970. So anyway, we went in to see him, and I'm sitting there. When we when the, when we got in there, we sat down. The armed guards came out and covered the entire stage. They were all arm in arm, and they were around the whole stage. And I didn't understand. Like, what, what's that for? What's that? Well, the curtain went up, and he came out. When he came out, the women went nuts. I'm Angelo, sure. Angelo, they went nuts. They oh, were yeah. crawling. They were crawling over top of each other, <laughs> trying to get on the stage, trying to get over top of the security guards. Yeah, it was that crazy. It oh was yeah, crazy. I know. They were in the front row taking their tops off with their yes, with their breasts hanging out. Yeah. And I'm literally looking at this, and I said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yes. I want women taking their clothes off for me. <laughs> <laughs> this guy started singing, and I don't care you were a guy or a girl, you... The men admired him and the women craved him. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. There was a saying back in the day that the, the men wanted to be him and the women wanted to be with him. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's and right. they still do. 
<laughs> and he, and, yeah, and he, he's 80 years old now. 80. And he looks absolutely amazing. Looks incredible. He, he really, really does. Um, so how did all that play into what you... Uh, started, well, because the because of the pantomime that we used to, that Pete and, every, and, and Ed and I used to do. Yeah. I started pantomiming Tom Jones. So I started putting shows on in my basement. Well, let me tell you, I uh, I was privy to one of those shows. <laughs> I was, and uh, I would not I'll tell you what. I I thought I would have to pay a, a cover charge and a two drink minimum. <laughs> <laughs> there was, a, for those of you, I want you to just use your imagination. The sleepy town of Barrington, New Jersey. There's a house on the corner with a fence around it. And a sign on the back door leading to the basement that reads, Welcome to Caesar's Palace. <laughs> so you enter the steps downstairs into your mother's basement. And there you're met by Steve McCoy, who, uh, in short order, puts the change in his pocket, puts the needle to the phonograph, and begins to do my, my, my. <laughs> I oh had my God. I'm going to tell you what, brother. Listen, Ed McGurk. That, that's ingenuity. That's entrepreneurial spirit. Ed McGurk and I and his brother, John, his younger brother, John, and Joey, we used to do these shows for a while there, we did them every Saturday, or at least a couple Saturdays a month. Oh, yeah. And I'm not lying to you. I wouldn't let anybody come in. They had to stand outside until it was, what, 12, 1 o'clock. Yeah. They came in. John, Ed's little brother, would greet them at the, at the door. They'd buy their tickets. You could buy a ticket, 20, 25 cents, put you in the front row. Second yep. row or the middle row was 15, and in the back it was 10. Yeah. And we had set up platforms, tables, chairs, little candles on all the tables and everything else. Yes. And we had a stage up there. I had Pammy and Sandy Abrams were my backup singers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. I, I even had them. They would come on before the show started, and yes. they would they would they would pantomime to the Supremes or or the Honeycombs at the time. Remember yeah. that? Sure. Oh God, yeah. Honey, young man, single and free. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that brings back so much memories. It really does. And we so would do now shows. Steve, throughout your. Your uh, your teen years, you know, you, you developed yourself as kind of an entrepreneur and you always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, you were a go getter. You, you knew how to make money for yourself and yeah. you did things to keep yourself busy. You know, some people had summer jobs cutting grass. And I know we'll talk about that because I know you you cut grass. You oh, made yeah. that actually a very good living at it. And uh, 
Okay. It was, was actually during that time that something really interesting happened. And I want you to share this with people because it is, you can't make this kind of stuff up. It is just the thing of legend. It's the kind of stuff you hear only in the movies. Somebody says to you, McCoy, you know what? You kind of look like Tom Jones a little bit. What happens? Well, I uh, I pretty much, as through high school and everything else, it was only something that I did, and, and people would people knew me for that. You know, yeah. oh, that's Tom Jones. That's Tom Jones because I loved it, and I loved yeah. I loved his music. Anyway, you know, as you're getting older and stuff, and women, you you get involved with girls and stuff like that, so you don't. It, it's not top on your list. Sure. But I always sang in my house. Always, I would always sing. Yeah, I never sang. I never sang in public. I just uh, and I really didn't do anything about this. I really, I just pretty much let it go to the off to the side. Right. And uh, went about my life. I uh, I started a little small rinky dink landscaping uh, company that I would do. I'd go around and do landscaping for people and stuff like that. I made. I just made money. Um, anyway. Um. I had pretty much given up even thinking about my dream of wanting to be uh, in the entertainment business because I never sang. I didn't. What was I going to do? And right. I'm from what are you going to do? So I, that's when I started trying to do, uh, do landscaping. Anyway, sure. lo and behold, this is 1989. Tom Jones is pretty much out of the picture at this point. Nobody even knows who he is anymore. Yeah. You know, his last hit was probably what seventy. His last big hit was seventy-one. Would that have been Green Grass Home? No, she's a lady. She's a lady. Oh, she's a lady. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that was like his big, big hit where he was on. You know, there goes the cuckoo. Um. Anyway, he um. He was pretty much just, he was doing shows all over the place, just, right. touring, just touring. Uh, wasn't really in the recording that much anymore. Anyway, 1989, he does a remake of Prince's hit, Kiss. Kiss, yeah. And it went, it went through the roof. Oh my God, did it. Yeah, it sure did. It was a, it was a, major hit and it brought him back in a big way steve yeah it really did yeah it sure you did remember, you remember the radio show used to come on in the morning it's called the morning zoo jo john bella oh my god sure do i know it i worked for it did you really i did i was the engineer were you really i was i worked with john DeBella and clay Heary. Oh my God! Really, Angela? <laughs> that's look at that. Look how that that's that's pretty cool. Uh, we, I would I would listen to that every morning. I, I started working over in Philly, and uh, but anyway, I got I got my my friends were saying to me, "Hey, the morning zoo is going to be down Atlantic City." 
Yeah. And we're going to have a Tom Jones lookalike contest. And Tom Jones is going to be the judge. And I went, what? <laughs> and they, they said, you got to go. And I Now, said, Steve, let me interrupt you for a second real quick. Now, at this time, are you thinking, oh, well, I think I look enough like Tom Jones. I could probably win a lookalike contest. Did you have any idea that it was anything more than just a lookalike? I, I, I did not know anything about singing or uh, that it was going to be. I just did Tom Joe's lookalike contest. Yeah. That's all I. Th so I went down with some of my buddies the night before. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got a room down there. We got a little liquored up, had some, you know, just hung out, gambled a little bit. Sure. And in the morning, I had to be, I had to be down, down at, this was at Trump Plaza. Okay. Yeah, sure. I had to be down there at eight o'clock. Well, it was five after eight. I'm running there. I got a Tom Jones, I got a Tom Jones outfit on. Yeah. And I'm running, running to get to the door. And uh, the guy says, I'm sorry, we're, you know, we're, we're we're, you know, we're closing the door. And I says, come on, man. I says, I'm dressed like this. You're not going to let me in. He said, ah, come on. So I go in and I've got a head. I'm hung over, you know, because we, <laughs> we put a load on. We really did. We, we oh, my God. That's hilarious. Bunch of us, bunch of us. We all crammed in one room and it was, oh, my God. Anyway, uh, we had some fun. Anyway, I get in there. There's 10 other contestants. They're all, I mean, all shapes and sizes, everything, you name it. Oh, I'm sure. And here comes Tom Jones. And I, now, I remember I had told you about that I had seen him at the Lag Casino. Yeah, the first sure. Time, the first time I met him, I was third, four, I think it was 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. Actually met him, got a picture with him. And, uh, Anyway, moved on. We, uh, I saw him, and he saw me. I said, "Hey, hey, Tom, how are you?" He said, "Oh, I, you know, he says I, it's eight o'clock in the morning." He says, "I've got a bit of the head," and I says, "You?" I says, "I feel the same way." <laughs> we, were, we were both laughing. So anyway, that's funny. Uh, it came time. They told us we're all going to line up here, and what song are you going to sing? And I got a lump in my throat. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, what? They said, what song are you going to sing? And I said, uh, I, uh, I can't, I can't sing. <laughs> they go, well, you got to sing. You got to sing. What are you going to, what song, what song are you going to do? And, and I said, uh, um, uh, Delilah. No, you can't do that. Somebody else is doing that song. Uh, I said, um, how about it's not unusual? I said, okay. Yeah, you can do that. I said, okay. Wow. So the whole time, I'm paranoid as hell. I am paranoid as hell because I, I've never, I never sang in front of anybody. Sure. There were, there were well, you're a guy that's used to singing in your house, you know, for your own enjoyment. That I only did that for myself. Exactly. I never, but I knew, I knew everything. I knew all the moves. I had all the moves and everything else. The pantomime, oh, I, had, I had had him down to a T. 
Yeah. And if I'm if I'm bragging, I don't mean I don't mean to. I'm just. You should absolutely brag on yourself. Any anyway, we I had to perform in front of 800 people, and it was live on the radio. Yeah. And I go, oh my god, what am I going to do? And I got a headache. I don't. I don't know. Oh my god. Anyway, it came time for me to get up to sing. These other guys were, they, it was, it was just fun. It was all for fun. Well, yeah. I got up and started doing, it's not unusual. And I'm dancing around. The place went nuts. Wow. They, were, they threw all the women were throwing all the underwear on the stage. They were screaming, <laughs> hollering. And, it, you know, every time I would, you know, move my hips or whatever, they went nuts. <laughs> it was crazy. And we I were all, I, I just couldn't believe it. So I'm standing there in the line when it was all said and done. Uh, they asked Tom Jones. He was, he was laughing hysterical. And they, they asked everybody, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. They said my name and the place went nuts. And then they asked yeah. Tom Jones, well, who's the winner? He said, well, it's obvious, Steve, you know. And uh, I want a 12, uh, $2,000 travel pass on TWA plus $2,000. That's Two remarkable. $2,000 travel pass on TWA. Now, I won. I took the rest of the day. Uh, we stayed down there. We, 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 went, we went to the spa, laid out, laid out in the sun and relaxed. Because I took the day off from work. Anyway, here's the funny part, and here's the part that just every time blows me away. There was a gentleman in Atlantic City, uh, in Las Vegas, that had a show called Legends in Concert. Yeah. He was the creator. And his name was John Stewart. I met John Stewart. Very nice man. Absolute, absolute, brilliant, brilliant man. Absolutely. Funny, funny, quick, smart, and knew the business. And he knew. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, you know, he still does. He's not, he hasn't gone anywhere. Anyway. Yeah. He was up in his hotel room. He had a show. Down that seat at Harris. Yes. And he, uh, it was Legends in Concert, was at Harris. Yeah, and sure he, was. He, he was up in his room getting ready for the evening to go back down for the show. Right. He was, the, putting, he was putting his cowboy boots on. Yeah. And on the, on the six o'clock news, it, it comes up, and here's part of the fun. You know, local boy wins his Tom Jones lookalike contest. Yeah. And Tom Jones was the judge. Well, he about lost his mind because he had been looking for a Tom Jones act. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. I'll stop you there. It's remarkable how life places you where you need to be, and what I always tell people, it life puts you where you need to be, but it also puts you when you need to be there. 
And that's the key. Think about this. Go back to that doorman. Go back to the doorman who almost didn't let you in. Think about that, Angelo. Think about it. five minutes changed. Literally five minutes changed the course of your life. Five minutes. He could have been. He could have been. He could have been a stiff prick, and he could have said, "Hey, no, man, can't come in." Sure. And what are the odds that John Stewart would be in Atlantic City and happen to see a news report? The odds of that happening are astronomical. I had absolutely no clue about this show. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it. Yeah. I'll give you a little heads up about that show. You worked uh, with a dear friend of mine in that show for a long time. Who? Jim Lowry. Oh, my God. James Elvis. Elvis. What an incredible vocal. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. If, Jim, if you're watching this show, and I will certainly get a copy to you, uh, I'll tell you what, brother, uh, you deserve better than what life has given you because he is a remarkable guy. He's an incredible talent. And, and I dare say, Steve, that you won't meet anybody with more love or passion for Elvis or, quite frankly, with more knowledge of Elvis than Ooh, James Lowry. Nobody. Nobody. And I mean, I'll put him up against anyone. But I think... Yeah. James James was Elvis Presley. <laughs> yeah, and I got news for you. A lot of people said he was Elvis. He, he did Elvis better than Elvis. His vocal was incredible. He had an operatic voice, that kid. Oh, my God. All you got to do is listen to a song like Hurt. Uh, oh, God. He, 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 he'd bring the place down. It would it would break glasses, shatter glasses on the table. It, it, uh, Elvis, Elvis didn't have the voice that James had. Really? And I think that's a very fair statement to make. Absolutely. Yeah, but it, I, uh, it's, it's a total different, totally different. I'm, I'm just, James's voice was very big. It was operatic, almost operatic. Oh, yeah. He had a powerful voice, a really powerful yeah. voice. Not that and Elvis did. Elvis's voice was incredible. So you're in AC, you're hanging out with the boys, you're getting the massage. You're being pampered and primped, and uh, you're feeling, you know, large and in charge. So at what point during that day, Steve, does Mr. John Stewart make his presence known to you? He doesn't. He doesn't. I oh, go back really? to work. I go back to work. And uh, probably about two weeks later, I got a phone call. And uh, I was doing the landscaping stuff. Right. I got, a, I got a phone call from Las Vegas. I didn't know. I, you know, back then, back then you didn't have who's calling. You know, you yeah, answered exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a gentleman called me up. He said, hello. He said, my name is Rod Stewart. And I'm calling you from Las Vegas Legends in Concert. And I go, Rod Stewart, come on. He says, no, my name's Rod Stewart. I am... Uh, my brother is John Stewart. Yeah. And he, he runs Legends in Concert. I am uh, I'm calling you because John wants to get a hold of you. And he'd like to speak to you about possibly if you can do, do you, you doing Tom Jones? 
And I went, what? I said, what? He said, yeah. I says, uh, uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Anyway, John got on the phone. And in typical John Stewart style, hey, buddy, how you yeah. doing? Yeah, that's John. <laughs> this, this is Stuart. Stuart, I'm calling you. And I says, uh, I'm doing fine. He says, well, I've got a show, Legends in Concert. It's down here in Atlantic City. I am here in Atlantic City, and I would like you to come down and audition for me. And I went, what? <laughs> I, I, said, I said, people people actually do that? Yeah. And I yeah. said, I said, I said, Mr. Stewart, I said, I, I just, I, ju I, ju I don't sing. I don't sing. He said, what do you mean, buddy? You don't sing. I saw you on TV. <laughs> and I, I, I said, where'd you see me on TV? He says, I saw you on the evening on the, on the six o'clock news. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> so I hung up. I hung up the phone with him and I called up a dear friend of mine. Her name, I don't know if you remember her, Angelo. Her name is Connie Bottinelli. Oh, my God. I know that name. Why do I know that name? I know. She why was, do I know her? She was the art teacher at Haddon Heights High School. Thank you. Okay. I was going to say, I know, why do I know that name? That's she, the kind of name you don't forget. Right, right. She was good. <laughs> exactly. Especially if you're Italian, you know, it rings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. Oh, my God. Um. I called her up and I said, Connie, because I, I didn't know. She was the closest thing to entertainment that I, of anybody in entertainment that I knew. Yeah. And uh, she said to me, she said, oh, Steve, you got to go. Gotta, I, I said, Connie, I said, I don't sing. I, I never sang. She yeah. says, just go down. You, you go down. So, yeah. I again, I went down Lake City. Met John out in the, uh, as I was walking up, Johnny was sitting in the coffee shop as I was walking up to the showroom. And Steve McCoy, and I met Johnny. Well, Johnny's, he's got, he looks like Wild Bill Hickok. That's oh, I know. All dressed up. Uh, if cowboy. anyone's never met John Stewart, look for the glasses and the hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looked like Wild Bill Hickok. Yeah. Turquoise jewelry and everything else. Oh, my he was God, like, yeah. Uh, took me in, sat me down. I'm in this showroom. It's got to be, it's got to be at, 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 it was at Harris. So it had to be, I'm going to say 2,000 seats. There were, uh, there were 2,000 seats there. There are actually 2,100 seats in that showroom. I know that room. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know that room because I ran a wrestling oh, show I, there. The show started. Oh, did you really? I sure did. I did. Oh. I ran shows at, uh, at Harris and at the Sands. Okay. Yeah, at the time, I was the only wrestling promoter in New Jersey that had a casino license. 
<laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, and guess what? I still have it. <laughs> God bless. Yeah. You you are you bringing any other shows down there? No, it it's a dead town for wrestling. It really is. You it it's there's a lot of economic factors, but it's the biggest problem is uh is getting enough people in at an affordable price that you can cover the cost of your talent. Yeah, you know? I understand. I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. That's part of the problem for me to be down there. Yeah. To go back and perform. Anyway, I uh, uh, I went and watched this show, and I was blown away. First yeah. guy that comes out on the deck, he's got his back to the audience, and they said the velvet voice of Mr. Nat King Cole. Yes. This guy's name was Donnie Ray Evans. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have named you. And the room is dark. He turns around, the light's hitting, and it was Nat King Cole. I, yeah. I, I was blown away. Yeah. The show, I mean, I, uh, the, the show, every act was better than the one before. And, and each, the, each act was that good that it's not even right to say they were better than the one before. Yeah. I, I mean, Barbara Bogart was Marilyn Monroe. She was absolutely. Oh, my God. Um, I actually saw her. You know what, Steve? I want to ask you a question about that. And I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking you worked with this woman, but I'm not sure. Um, there were two women in the show that did Judy Garland. Yeah. Uh, one passed away. She was beyond Judy. She was... Monica... Monica I can't remember yes. her last yes, name. Yes, Monica. I, 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 never, I never worked with her because oh she, had passed, she passed away before I got there. Okay. But I knew all about her, and I've seen, I've seen videos of her. Monica, oh uh, she, she was. You want to talk about reliving someone's experience? I thought she's. I I never saw Judy in concert because she passed away in '68. But yeah. Monica was remarkable in her voice, in her look, in her stage presence. But you worked with a woman because I remember. I mean, I want to tell you a little story you may not remember. And I'm hoping that you do. Atlantic City, Bally's Casino. Um, James Lowry's doing Elvis. You're doing Tom Jones. Bobby Palumbo was... Palermo. Uh, right? Bobby Palermo. Palermo. Bobby Palermo was doing Neil Diamond. Right? Right. Okay. I went there that night not knowing what to expect. And even not knowing that you were in the show. So when I saw you come out as Tom Jones, I was there. If I don't know if you remember, I was there with a young lady that night. I remember. And I went, and you went, you did one of them from the stage. Like, I almost thought I was going to you know, break your character for a second. 
positive. He's a pro. He's got it. He's got this. <laughs> but after the show was the first time you and I had seen each other literally since we were teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Since we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you were working with, uh, as I said, uh, Jim Lowry, uh, Bobby Palermo. Um, I'm not sure if you were working with Lane Lassiter or E. Casanova doing uh, Michael. It Michael was Jackson. E. Casanova. E. Casanova. E. Cas, okay. Yeah. Because I knew Lane Lassiter, rest in peace. He was a good guy. Yeah. Um, but that was the first time, and I thought to myself, holy shit. We, had, we also had uh, Lori Mitchell Gay, who's from, she's from down the, down the uh, Shore area. She's right. from Atlantic City. Uh, Lori, Lori did, uh, oh my God. She did Whitney Houston. She, she still does. She does Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, uh, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Diana Ross. I mean, yeah. she she pretty talented girl. Yeah, there was a young woman. Um, speaking of of talented young women, I'm wanting to say her. She does Tina Turner. I'm wanting to say Vivian. Um, there's a girl Vivian that does that does Tina Turner. I don't know Vivian's last. It might be Van. Uh, no. I, I was going to say Vivian Vance. No, Is that it? was Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was this girl's Vivian. Yeah, I know Vivian, but uh, uh, Cookie Watkins is the best. That's her. Cookie Watkins. Oh, my God. She is unbelievable. Cookie that is woman absolutely. is a ball of dynamite. Incredible. Yeah, she's, she's and she girl. seems like a genuinely nice woman. She is a nice person. She is. So you get uh, this call, okay, come down and audition for me, and uh, your first introduction to Legends in Concert is the golden voice of Nat King Cole, who you think is coming to life in front of you. I couldn't believe it. And then, the ending of the show, it was a gentleman, I gotta tell you, in my opinion, of all the Elvises that I've ever seen, uh, in his day, mm -hmm. Tony, Tony Roy. Oh, I love Tony. I love Tony. Tony Roy was absolutely spooky. Tony Roy was an incredible performer, not only as Elvis, yeah. but Tony Roy was an incredible performer in his own right. Um, I know that over the years, Tony befell uh, health issues and, you know, hardships and, and, um, and, and things didn't go well for him. Yeah. And that's, that's sad. Um, yeah. You know, and, and we'll talk about that for just a second, because for some reason, Steve, the Elvises in Legends in Concert, and they're, they, they call it the Elvis, you know where I'm going with it. The Elvises exactly. in Legends in Concert for some reason, seemed to meet untimely demises. We just I, lost yeah. Trent Carlini. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Tony Roy, I, Trent Carlini. I, 
I claim I I claim that it's that collar. It's too high and it hits right behind the ear, and it bridges the the Elvis the, collar. Yeah, circulate the circulation to the head, so it affects. Well, I'll tell you what, there was one guy that was affected, um, again, passed at a very young age, but unfortunately at the hands of someone else, uh, Dana Van Brana. I mean, uh, um, uh, Dana McKay. Dana McKay. Yeah. Now, I don't know the story about him. I know what happened and everything else, but I don't know his backstory. Uh, it, I'll share it with you privately. It's fascinating. Um, he, he really, be. you talk about somebody becoming Elvis. He became Elvis. I heard he was good. What do you, you know, that that's the, that's the thing, Angelo, like Tony Roy. I got to tell you something. Tony didn't even try to be Elvis and he was Elvis. He didn't have to. He didn't have he was, to. What an absolute, absolute great performer, great singer. Love sure. Tom Jones. Him and I had a, we had a very, uh, a very close relationship. I loved, I loved Tony. Uh, I learned an awful lot about the business from Tony. Yeah. I really did. I really did. He, um, he, he, just a tremendous talent. He's really a talented individual. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sorry that he that he has run into the problems that he's run into, but my God, in his day there was no one better. It was absolutely yeah, great. you're absolutely I'm right. For the show, there again, there again, there's the tie to Elvis back to me. Yeah, I go backstage to meet him after the show because he's the one I wanted to meet because he yeah. was oh my God, he was brilliant. And uh, I get back there, and lo and behold, I get to meet from out of the curtain, uh, the the uh, shower curtain in the in the dressing room. Yeah, pops this black guy, looks just like Little Richard, Gary Moore, Gary Moore, Gary Moore, and I my friendship with Gary stemmed from that moment on. That man, and I will tell best, you... He's the best man in my wedding. I, oh, God bless you and God bless you. <laughs> I will tell you that, uh, first of all, when we say Gary Moore, we're not talking about Gary Moore, the 1960s television game show host. So don't search that. It's Gary Moore, Little Richard. And I want to tell you something. And this is from me to you. G-A-R-R-Y-M-O-O-R-E. Gary Moore. Gary Moore. And that man is frighteningly good. You want to talk about a guy becoming his character. Holy well, he shit. Angelo, Angelo, he was friends with Tony Roy because Tony Roy had been working in their Hawaii show. Yes. Yes. And they brought him into Atlantic City to Harris to work in that show because they had just opened it up there. Yeah. So they wanted to make a, a big a big splash. And Tony was phenomenal. Anyway, while Tony was in Hawaii, he had met Gary Moore. 
and Gary Moore and him had a close relationship. And Gary came in, wasn't wasn't working with the show yet. Right. He yeah. had he had just got out of the army. He had a he had a buzz cut. Yeah. <laughs> you know? he had on the top, but it was buzzed on the side. Yeah. And it, but a great guy. Great and sings his asshole. Sing. Oh, yeah. Woo! He's another guy that does it effortlessly. Like it's nothing. I know. It and that's what surprised me about you. Now I know for a fact, and you never had a formal singing lesson in your life. And what surprised no. me is that you sang those songs effortlessly, like you've been doing them your whole life. And I guess to some degree, maybe you have. But was it was your introduction to an audience natural for you? Some people take to an audience. Some people have to warm up to an audience. You being on stage, you understand what I'm what I'm referring to. For those Angela, people, when I was a little kid, yeah. I remember going to see Mary Poppins in the movie theater. Sure, I was little. I was little. I don't know what year that is. What's that? 63, 64? Probably sixty four. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke, when he would when he played all those instruments and everything and danced yeah. around, you know, he had the horn on his on his hip and and uh, cymbals between yeah. his legs. Well, I went home and I created all that and I did all that myself. Yeah. I loved entertainment and always have loved entertaining. I went to school. I remember as a kid, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I got up in front of the class one time, started taking my clothes off. The teacher was going nuts. I had a Superman outfit underneath my clothes. <laughs> I jumped up on the desk. I what was I third grade? I don't know. The uh. the teacher was like the teacher was like, you know, they told they told my mom. My mom thought I was nuts. <laughs> they said your son he he was dressed like Superman. Oh my God, that's amazing. True story. Uh. Anyway, I for me. For me, getting in front of an audience was really not hard because of all the practice that I did as a kid. You, you went right where I wanted you to go. My question was going to be, did those shows in your mother's basement prep you for that? And the answer I is clearly so. yes. I believe so. Yeah. And in a big way, too, and it certainly paid off for you. Now, but Angela... Being around, I got, I got to, I, I, I have to stop a minute. And I got to tell you this, and I'm, I hope I'm not being too long-winded, but I got to no, tell you all. this: the, uh, the people that I worked with, George Trulinger did, did Buddy Holly, uh, Art Vargas, uh, Bobby Darren, as I said, Tony Roy, Eric Martin, who was a very close friend of mine. Carmen Romano, they did the Blues Brothers. I gotta let you know, these guys. There was a there was a a, a kid that named Robert Joseph who did Sammy Davis that would yes. make your hair make your hair stand up. I know who he is actually. Each one of these towns, there was a, a a girl did did uh, um, did Janis Joplin. And she did Bette Midler, her, uh, and, and she still does, Sherry Ray. 
these people yeah. would hit the stage, I'd have to follow them. Yeah. And you were either going to sink or swim. Absolutely. And in this business, let me tell you something. They don't care. Well, they let's talk about that, Steve. That's a great segue. You um, know, uh, you, you have, and I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, you had the, the blessing of the master himself. And, uh, and that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, one that I'm sure he doesn't hand out readily or easily. You've got a lot of competition in the tribute artist market. There's anybody who thinks that they even remotely look like or sound like somebody is passing themselves off as a tribute artist. You know, I saw a Michael Jackson tribute, and I'll tell you where it was. It was in Las Vegas at the Imperial Palace, and Michael was five foot five and 220 pounds. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This is the John Stewart show. I know John was either not in his right mind, or he just said, if the suit fits, go out there. <laughs> no. Oh, well, no. I got to ask you, who who was this John, short, fat Michael? I have no idea. Johnny Johnny had left the sh- Johnny uh, sold the show, and after he and after he sold the show, the show went downhill. Apparently, it went downhill. Yeah, uh, because. I'm telling you, Angelo, I work, I've, I've worked on the Las Vegas Strip now for 30 years. Yeah. And <laughs> the, as, you, as you said, the tribute business, anybody remotely that can, that can put on a hat and glasses is going to be a blues brother. Yeah. And I'll tell you something, the tribute business has it has lost its way where did it, the, where did it go south steve what happened along the way i would where, say where did it go now, off the rail i would say probably about 10 years ago what 10 was, years what was what was the key factor uh greed there was a lady Money. there was a lady that that you know was opening up the doors for anybody that looked like a character. Yeah. And it didn't matter if you sung, it didn't matter any if you acted, it didn't matter. You know, what we do is a specialized craft. It's not an easy craft. It's extremely you know? specialized, absolutely. And it's highly competitive. To be in order to in order to make your audience lose their minds. The facade has got to be there. The yeah. the aura, you know, you've got to look like the character, you've got to sound like the character, and you've got to act like the character. And on yeah. top of all of that, the most important part is to be able to break that third wall, yeah. reach out to that audience, yeah, and put in as yourself yes. while you're still the character. 
That's another great segue. Let's talk about some terminology here. This is on my, my short list here. What is, what's the difference between an impersonator, an impressionist, and a tribute artist? Because it seems to me that the line in the last 10 years has been blurred. <sighs> How do I? I would call Steve McCoy a tribute artist. I, I, I am a tribute artist, but I'm an impersonator as well. Okay. What do you define impersonator? Uh, well... I don't just sing songs of Tom Jones. Right. I recreate Tom Jones. Now I'm older now. You know, yeah. I don't have a I don't have a 29 inch waist that I had back in back in you know 1990. Yeah. And I I did. I had a 29 inch waist. I'm sure. Uh, but you know. As with as with all artists, and I've and I've been very blessed because my my the guy that I emulate is still alive, like we talked well, earlier. And does that make a difference? Hold on a second, would you? Sure, take your time. Um, does it make a difference? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Well, you know, I, I'm asking that because, you know, as you said, Tom is still alive and he's still performing, you know, although his dates are, are you know, he picks, he cherry picks his dates now and he can afford to do that. You know, Elvis, of course, died in 77. So, you know, you have Elvis at an end point where you can't go beyond that. That's exactly it. And yeah. and and I so I've got the good fortune of you know I portray now I portray Tom Jones of the nineties, which is okay. which is his early sixties time, yeah. which is it's kind of cool because that's the time that he had his resurgence. Sure. So absolutely. So it's you know you know it, it, it's working for it it, it works. Uh, it, it's still the 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 character himself is not as is not as popular as it used to be. That's another yeah. thing. That, that's another thing that's happened as as well, Angelo. The business has changed. You see, yeah. the audience used to come to the show. Uh, you know, uh, the the audience that used to come to the show, those people got got older and they they were dying out. But I'm telling you, when I first yeah. got into that show, six nights a week, two shows a night. Yeah. Every night, that showroom was sold out. I know. I know. Here in I, Las Vegas. I can vouch Here. for it because I was there a lot of the times. Yeah. You know? Uh, I can absolutely vouch for that. You know, in addition to living in Atlantic City, I also lived in Las Vegas. Uh, and I can vouch for that. You know, get, and it was a hot ticket, by the way. Legends in Concert was a hot ticket. Very hot ticket. They were lined up. We would oh, go, God, we would sure. do the show. We would do the show. And after the show was over, we would go out and go down to the buffet to sit, yeah. and, you know, instead of sitting backstage, because we had an hour or two. And as we were coming out to go down to the buffet, the people were lining up for the second show. 
Yes. The, the, the line was down the, down the hallway. Absolutely. I yeah, mean, I can vouch for that. They absolutely, this show in its heyday was absolutely incredible. And I was very proud and I'm very honored to be, to have been a part of it. And I really can't thank John Stewart enough for giving me that opportunity. And one of the things that was remarkable to me as uh, a spectator, as well as knowing, you know, quite a bit of the inside of it, because I, as I said previously, I, you know, I know people that you worked with. Um, but as a spectator, you take on a different set of eyeballs. After the performances, and nowhere else in Vegas did I see this, the performers would meet you out in the lobby. They yeah. would take pictures with you, sign autographs, uh, <laughs> even just chit-chat for a bit, you know. That was always a, you know, uh, a hoot to me. That's where I met Trent. He was at, yeah, actually out there. Well, that, was a, that was a real hoot to be out there with. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I've worked with, you know, with several tribute artists over the years, and I've, I've known a couple. Um, a guy that was a dear friend of mine for a long time is uh, Terry Turner, who does Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Elvis Presley. Uh, Brian McCullough, uh, of course, who does uh, Roy Orbison and Conway Twitty. Brian is, Brian, let, let, let me tell you, when I first started in the show, there was a gentleman by the name of Kenny Morrell. And okay. he, did Roy, he did Roy Oberson. And I got to let you know, Kenny was absolutely one of the sweetest people in the world and absolutely phenomenal. He was Roy Oberson. Uh, backstage, very quiet guy. I've had a lot of fun. He, he's passed away. But he was a great guy. Uh, and then I, I've never seen, I've never seen anybody else that was, that grabbed the essence of Roy Oberson until I met Brian McCullough. Yeah. Brian is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Great guy. We were, we were supposed to, because of this virus. Yeah. Uh, we had a big show that was going to Cincinnati. Oh, Tina okay. Turner. Listen to this lineup. Tina Turner, Tom Jones, Joe Cocker, Little Richard, the Blues Brothers, and Roy Oberson. Oh, my God. Now, was this your show, your company? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, we should plug and your company, too. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a several plugs. This will be the first of them. Steve McCoy <laughs> is the, uh, the man behind the real McCoy. And you can real find McCoy him, Real McCoy LLC. Yes, we need to put the LLC because there is another website called The Real McCoy. That's right. Yeah. So The Real McCoy LLC, that's where you know you're getting the real Steve McCoy. The Real McCoy. <laughs> I love saying that. Um, and so you have a an ensemble cast of guys that work with you. You've got... Sean Clush, you've got, of course, Elvis, uh, Roy Robinson. And I'll tell you this today, I'll tell you this today, Angelo, that in my travels and in, in 30 years of working, aside from, you know, I had said Tony Roy was absolutely incredible. Well, today, Sean Clush is impeccable. Yeah. Uh, he, he's spooky. 
He's yeah, he really is. Uh, he's one of the. Yeah, he, he's incredible. Steve, did you ever work with Bill Cherry? Yeah, Bill. Bill's another great. He's another great one. Yeah, a great guy. Great guy. Yeah. He uh, he's kind of freaky to look at, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, yeah. he's freaky to look at because he looks like Elvis. And off, stage, and off stage, he you wouldn't you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. I know, I know. He's got long hair, <laughs> like a and rocker. Yeah, he's a t-shirt and jeans guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Not like you know, like Jim Lowry. I love him, but you know, Jim lived that gimmick, brother. He dressed. Uh, he was. He was Elvis. He was Elvis all the time. All the time, and he, he liked. But hey, nothing against that because he loves Elvis. He loves it. I think that was honestly that was um, Jim's way of um, kind of paying his own tribute to Elvis. You know exactly right it, it, because it, you know it came from his heart. It really did. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about Las Vegas now and uh, Atlantic City and the entertainment scene or the lack thereof because of what's going on in the world. Um, when, I, when I first came to to Las Vegas, I uh, uh, first of all we skipped we skipped over. I went down, did this audition, and I didn't think I'd uh, in Atlantic City. This is back yeah. in. Uh, 89. Right. I, that was it. That guy had me back there singing Delilah, and I was singing in a key. I don't even know what key I was in. I didn't know. <laughs> and I never heard, I didn't hear from him again for a few months. Right. And I thought that was it. It was over. I just, you know, hey, it was a fun night. I had a good time. They gave me another call and asked me if I would come to Las Vegas and audition. I said, right. I already did that. And, um, they said, oh, no, no, we want to put you in the show. So I came out and auditioned. Yeah. I saw Las Vegas. They put me up at the hotel. And uh, I saw the show in Las Vegas. They put me in the show that night. Oh, wow. Trial by fire. I, I was a wreck. But wow. the women, the women went nuts they were coming down the aisles and it was it was great and uh that started everything for me and um i just can't tell you how steve how is it I scary for you that they buy into it that wholeheartedly it, it it's not it's not scary to me it, it's baffling because to me uh, and you know me well enough, Angelo. I mean, you know, when I'm on stage, I'm Tom Jones. Sure, I, absolutely. When I'm not on stage, I'm not Tom Jones. Uh, absolutely. And and, yeah. and uh, for some of these people, they believe they believe that that's the well. And, and I want to talk about that because I saw, in fact, today I watched a couple of your uh, your videos. There was one that stood out to me. And it was, it was a little uncomfortable, but it was also very touching. You're on stage performing 
And I think you just finished the song Till, which, by the way, is one of the greatest numbers that you do because of what you put behind it. I love that song, too. But there was a woman who came up to you. You kneeled at the, at the stage footing, and it was an older woman with gray hair, probably in her latter 60s, early 70s, and she had this tissue or Kleenex, and she's dabbing your forehead, and then she's dabbing inside, <laughs> inside your shirt. Then she's going deeper inside your shirt. <laughs> and I thought I to myself, she's really, he's really got her eaten out of the palm of his hands. That I she's, can't you wouldn't believe the stuff that has happened on stage. <laughs> I can imagine. I can. But and you, and if, if you don't know, I'm sure you know which, which video clip I'm referring to. Uh, if you don't, it's yeah, it, it's um, anyone can can readily see it. You know, uh, just go on YouTube and uh, and search Steve McCoy, Tom Jones and a thousand videos will pop up. Um, some professionally done, a lot done by people's camera phones. You know, a lot of people got you on their phone, brother. <laughs> Scary thought. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Is that unnerving for you to know that some stranger has your image and likeness on their phone? No, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, the, the thing, the thing that, that has changed over the years is that, um, you know, it, you're kind of pressured because you don't want to, you don't want to mess up on stage. Yeah. Because there, there's so many, there's so many, what do they call them? Monday morning quarterbacks. Oh, God, you know yeah. I mean? sure. Sure. I mean, and, uh, uh, when you're doing a live performance, when it's caught on video, that's it. I mean, there's no taking it back. It's not like watching the TV. Yeah, there's no, you know, where they yeah, stop. No second takes. Again, right? No second takes. Yeah. And that's the only thing. Uh, I think. Look at look at us today. Look at you and me being able to talk like we're doing right now. Sure. So the the advances. I mean, it's remarkable. It really is. Really you know, and, and I'll I'll tell you that, um, you know, I've always had an interesting seat when it comes to entertainment. I've always been on the periphery. I've never performed on stage per se like you do. But nonetheless, I'm a performer. I'm a vocal performer. I'm a voice artist. You know, I do uh, I do commercial work. I do voiceovers, you know, the entire thing. And worked in radio and television and, you know, have done movie trailers. And that's a different, you know, it, you're still in that bubble, but you're on the periphery. When you're on the deep inside and you're in, in 30 years in the business, you're deeply embedded in this. Right. Does there come a time when you, I'll just, you know, come right out and be honest. Say, is there a time that you question whether you overstayed your welcome? 
Because there's this new batch of young kids coming up. Um, it 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 always it always crosses your mind, especially since the character is not as as well known anymore. He's not on the tip of people's tongues. Yeah. But once I get on stage and start performing, and they yeah. hear me sing, it's a different story. Uh, I. You know, getting older for me is uh, it's a challenge. It's it's a challenge because, you know, you got to you got to work out and everything else. And, man, yeah. I got to tell you, at 62, I, uh, you know, I I can't run anymore. I used to run eight miles every other day. Yeah. And my knees can't take that any longer. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things we haven't talked about it, but one of the things, one of the greatest uh, things that has happened to me being in this business and and with Tom Jones was the good fortune of being able to get to know him and and be, and yeah. become you know become uh, become friendly with him. Right. And, well, I think and, it's fair to say that that the two of you are friends. Uh, it, it's it, I we're acquaintances, but I mean, it, it, or, I, whenever he come to town, I'm always with him. I've been with right, him. and uh, no no questions there, no problems there. That's 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 always been enjoyable. But he's you know now that he's over he's over in Europe. He's been over there for about what five years. Yeah, he comes here once in a while. He doesn't because he's doing the uh, the voice, the European the sure. voice. So that's and what genuinely does. seems to enjoy it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I got to tell you something, uh, Angelo, the, the, the remarkable thing in, in getting to meet Tom Jones is I'm very blessed that he is the, probably one of the coolest guys you'd want to hang with, you'd want to meet. And I mean that. He's a damn down to earth regular guy. He's not a, he's not, uh, you know, he's not, arrogant he's not a you would think you know yeah you would, would be i actually not. steve i i actually have a tom jones story to tell you i met him one time i'll tell you where and when and when i mentioned this entertainer's name you'll know exactly who i'm talking about i was working in atlantic city i was hanging around billy's pub at bally's you're smiling you know where i'm going with it Billy's Pub. One spent night. Quite a few nights in there with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's about 1 a.m., maybe quarter after one. He comes walking in. The Mater D lets him right in. Uh, Billy, uh, no, um, uh, Tommy, the, the, uh, um, the Mater D at the time, tall guy with beautiful gray hair. Um, he was like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six. he was a real tall guy. He takes Mr. Jones to his table, sits down, him and his entourage, he had two or three guys with him, and he's sitting there watching Freddie Empire. You know the name, right? Sure. Freddie was a, a, a amazing performer. I don't know if he's still performing or not, but he was absolutely incredible. Well, I don't know what struck me, but I had the chutzpah to, to go up to Tom Jones and introduce myself. 
and uh, we exchanged pleasantries and goes, young man, do you smoke? And I went, well, as a matter of fact, I do. Do you like a cigar, young man? I went, well, as a matter of fact, I do. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out this gotta be this hundred dollar Cuban cigar. I held that thing for a year before I smoked it, but I finally smoked it. You know what I'm talking about? He always had cigars with him. Yeah. Sitting there with, with his cigar, Freddie Empire, <laughs> just enjoying himself. He, he looked like he was half lit when he arrived, though, by the way. I might have. You know, and I been. think he was performing at Resorts, uh, Resorts yeah. International. I yeah. actually saw him, Steve, perform there one night. You'll appreciate the story. It was in the middle of July, 1989, as a matter of fact. The air conditioning system had broke. At, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. The air conditioning system broke at Resorts. And he's on stage... Just sweating buckets. Soaked. I mean, drenched. To the point... I, Angelo, I was there. I was there. You were, you were in the showroom that night? So was I. And he had this white shirt on that was just dripping like white liquid. It was either bleach... Or, or soap suds or <laughs> something. Listen, but, I got to tell, tell you something. I used to do. Do you remember? Dance. It was just his. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. No, no. He was. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I used to go down there. And the maitre d', I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but he was a tall fella. And, and he, he. He would let me in for free because he knew he knew that I like, you know, like Tom sure. Jones. Whatever. So I never I I would always go in and I'd sit in the back of the room and watch the show. Yeah. Always. If I didn't, yeah. it, I, you know, I I didn't have to pay or whatever. Anyway. Right. It was uh, it wasn't until after I met him and, and got that he listen, that man has taken care of me very, very well. I mean, every yeah. time. Uh, I always go. I mean, my my uh, ex wife and I we used to we used to go all the time uh, to see the yeah. show, and then after that, I still you know we still would. He just a sweetheart. Yeah. Just a, then to go out and have cocktails afterwards. Yay, yay! You're 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 there all night. You yeah. haven't <laughs> you haven't lived until you spend all night with Tom Jones. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I will tell you, uh, I sat to, I would go up to, uh, do you remember the Valley Forge music fair? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah of course. I used to go up there. They thought I was his son. I was going to ask you about that. Cause I, I heard a story that you were mistaken for Tom Jones, son. They thought I was his son and I would go up there. Every night when he would be there for the week that he was there and I would stand in the back by the sound booth and nobody yeah. ever questioned me. Yeah. That's, That's amazing. You know, well, that night. I've told him these stories, you know, and he like, well, you know, he says, I, I, I should collect some money. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I remember the night at resorts specifically uh, because I was sitting stage front and the first, remember they had tables. The tables yeah. were lined up like this. Tables. Yeah. Yeah. And the first probably four to six couples in were drenched because of the stage lights. It was hot. It was muggy. When I left there, I needed a shower. It was <laughs> and I thought to myself, I can imagine what this guy's going through. Because he did an hour and 45 minutes that night. Right. And he was only supposed to do like 55 minutes. And stayed on stage for almost two hours. Wayne Newton was another guy that used to do that. Close the doors. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to hang out for a while. And you know, we do a three-hour show. I got to tell you something. You know, a lot of people, uh, not everybody, but a, a, a lot of people have made fun of Wayne Newton over the years, you know, as if it, it was a joke. This guy was no joke. This this man, and, and he's lost his voice, but you've got to understand a lot of people don't know this, Angelo. But this man worked out here in Las Vegas at the Hilton Hotel when Elvis wasn't there. He did seven nights a week, yeah. two, two, two and a half hour shows a night. Yes. Seven nights a week for probably three years. I know that to be factual. Yeah, I do. And, and he... When he said, lock the doors, we're going to be here all night, he was not joking. No, he wasn't joking. No, because he, he pulled that stunt in Atlantic City when I went to see him. And like you, I was one of those guys that was very fortunate. I never paid for a show ticket. It's great. It was great. Uh, I got to see Wayne there, and he was on stage for almost three hours. Wow. It, it was remarkable. He played every instrument. He sang, he brought people up on stage, um, and just loved, loved Elvis. He just, I guess him and Elvis, I suppose, were friends at some point. Yeah. Um, but he just loved Elvis. Uh, and I, when I lived in Las Vegas, actually, Steve, I knew Wayne's brother, Jerry. I don't know if you, if you ever knew Jerry Newton. No. Yeah, but uh, his brother, uh, is it was, I, I think he's deceased now, but his brother was a, uh, a cab driver. He was a, he drove a shuttle from uh, McCarran Airport to the casinos. Did he really? He did. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. That's a true story. Can't, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> it's like, this is like, you can't make this stuff up. But uh, so you get to meet Tom Jones. You get to know him a little bit. Um, he's the guy that you grew up, you know, emulating. Was he everything you expected him to be and more? Or were you sometimes they say, Steve, it's sometimes it's not a great thing to meet your idols. I have got with, with the guys with the guys that I've worked with over the years. Yeah, uh, some of them have been fortunate enough to meet meet their their idols or the or the or the people that they you know uh, impersonate. Yeah, 
Right. Uh, and some of them don't have great stories. Some of them don't. Some of yeah. them said the guy real jerks or whatever. Yeah. I got to do what, like, as you said, the latter is the truth. He is everything I thought he would be and more. Yeah. Class personified, down to earth, a regular guy, and uh, smart as anything, and very knowledgeable about music, and very, very complimentary, uh, very uh, educated. It, it taught me an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, I loved, uh, I've loved every time that I've uh, spent with him. Just Steve, did you ever get a chance to pick his brain and just... just yeah. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. are the kind of things that, that he liked to talk about? We talked about everything. We talked about music. We talked about... Uh, we, we, we talked about Elvis. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there's... Uh, some things are just, you know, they're stories that... They're, they're my stories. Sure, absolutely. Of course. And there's, you know, and there's, there's, there's a lot of funny stories as well. I mean, he's got some sure. great... He's got some great stories. He had, you know, he was telling me, I had asked him, like, what's the wildest thing uh, or, or dealings that you had with a fan? I said, you know, how do you deal with the fans? Yeah. He, and he had said to me, uh, he said he had this woman that was following him around, going to all his shows. And she, she would take her luggage and she'd she'd find out where he was staying really yeah whatever hotel he was staying at and she would she would get into the car not the car but the limit the, the the bus that the guys were getting on yeah as as if she was part of the group and oh it, my it, god I mean, he, you know, he said she, you know, that was probably the wildest he talked about. I mean, he talked about some other things, but, you know. Yeah. Well, that brings up an interesting point. You know, there are a lot of people, uh, when I say people, I mean fans, who extend their idol worship. Uh, and you know where I'm going with this. They extend their idol worship to the impersonator. We see it in the Elvis market. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we certainly see it in the Whitney Houston market. You know, uh, the one particular guy who finally was arrested for stalking this uh, Whitney Houston impersonator. And, uh, and I'm wondering, has that ever extended itself to you? Like, does it, did a Tom devotee, you know, ever extend that onto you? Uh, at times. And how do you handle that? What, what, what do you do? You, uh, you, you know, you try to be polite. You try to, and you, and you just move on. You know, you, you, yeah. you try to, you try to, you know, some situations just, uh, you, you know how people can be. Oh, sure. You've been, you've been in the business long enough. You know what the, you know what it's like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, there, you know, it, if you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to have to deal with that kind of thing. Yeah, it's unavoidable, I suppose. So let's talk about entertainment in Vegas or the lack thereof. What's going? What, what's happening, brother? Because I'll tell you what, in Atlantic City, uh, it's like a ghost town. Well, it well, <laughs> right now with this uh, with this virus, it, it it's horrible out in Vegas. 
it's horrible. There's absolutely no work. There's no nobody. You, you know what's going on. You know how that is. Yeah. But uh, the business changed probably about, I would say, about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. The entertainment business changed. When I first came to Vegas in 90, uh, I got to tell you something. We would go out after the show. We would go out to, to different uh, lounges in the different casinos, the Sands, the Desert Inn, and all the, the you know, or the Dunes or whatever. Oh, sure. I mean, we went, we went everywhere. We used to go to the top of the Dunes, and uh, Bob Anderson was there. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you know who Bob Anderson is. Oh, I I, I knew him in Vegas. Absolutely, he's a great. He's a, uh, a a great singer in his own right, but he's a singing impressionist. Yeah, and yeah, he's and amazing. He's, he's he's absolutely one of the. Mm, he was, I saw him, he, he's kind of, now, now this is kind of wild, he was kind of the guy that I used to, when Merv Griffin used to have his show in the afternoon, Yeah. Bob Anderson, when, when Merv Griffin would be live in Las Vegas, Bob Anderson would come on. Well, Bob Anderson was doing Tom Jones. <laughs> you know? and, and that just gave me the you know the edge to go well i can do this too exactly and that's it. that was it uh and bob you know bob and i are friends um bob right now is 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 doing a uh a, a tribute to sinatra yeah he takes two hours to put on to put on this makeup that he it that he is does. absolutely remarkable the transition is that incredible. makes that that transformation is just scary yeah, because he looks yeah. just like Frank. He yeah. really does. Uh, he he got a hold of this this Asian guy that is major. I can't think of the guy's name, but he's major in in uh, Hollywood. He, he does all the stars and everything as far yeah. as all the makeup and stuff. And he is one of the best in the business. And he yeah. Uh, anyway, we would go to all these different all these different. Um, lounges and you'd see everybody in the lounge i mean everybody was there i i i used to go to the lounge with tom jones and we would sit there and guess who we'd watch remember this name cookie jar ah uh, cookie jar and the crumbs from philadelphia and and, and cookie, cookie let me tell you something brother cookie is incredible oh. he is incredibly versatile who the hell would have thunk that cookie jar aka cookie jar and the crumbs by the way you have to be a, a philadelphia native to really appreciate it um but you know cookie jar is he's one of those guys man that he just he doesn't age he just looks the same all the time <laughs> Right. Cookie just doesn't, he doesn't age. And I'm not sure how old Cookie is. I, I, I don't want to say. I know he's in his 70s. But, you know, he still performs. He performs sure. Monday night, one night a week, Monday nights. And he was performing over at the uh, um, Eiffel Tower there. Yeah. In the Napoleon Room at yeah. Paris. That's the name of the hotel. Right. But he was performing there one night a week and from six to eight. And that's what he does one night a week. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 
He's absolutely incredible. And, I, I you know, it's funny. When I was there, uh, I actually got to see him. And we talked a little bit. And when I told him who I was and I mentioned my last name, of course, that brought up a bunch of stuff for him because <laughs> there was there was another famous Decipio in the Philadelphia area that was very big in the music business, whose name I will not mention on the air right now. But we both know who but we know who I'm talking about. And so uh when I met Cookie and he asked how so-and-so was doing, I gave him the skinny on it. And I became his best friend from that moment on <laughs> until I left Las Vegas. Hey, if you want to know uh, what I'm, I'm taking, these are called vocal zones. Vocal zone. Look yeah. at that throat line. Oh, they're Tom black. Jo Tom Jones turned me on. It's like a black licorice. Uh, I'm gonna say it's it's, a, it's like a black lozenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can buy these online. Uh, he turned me on to them. He puts one in this cheek and one in the other cheek and goes out on stage. Really? And, uh, it opens up your whole nasal cavity and everything else. It's an awesome. These are these are these are. You know, there's a lot of singers out there that they 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 try these fisherman friends and yeah. So they you know. Uh, halls, but the halls dry you out. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Elvis used to use an inhaler. Before he, went out. he had his uh, he had his doctor formulate this inhaler for him, and he used to give two puffs into his mouth, and right. it would open up his lungs and his throat. I thought, you know, wow, the greatest voice in the world is taking a shortcut. That <laughs> just, it surprised me. It really did. Um, let's talk about that, though. The taking shortcuts. There's a lot of people who don't know this, but there's a little apparatus that a lot of tribute artists use. It's called Auto-Tune. No. Are, you, are you a fan of Auto-Tune? No. Tell everybody what I'm talking about when I say auto-tune, Steve. This is where I said to you, about 10 years ago, the business has changed. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there, so a lot of talented people. They look like the character, but they don't have the vocal at all. Yeah. And so they get on stage, and now they have the machine that'll... Yeah. Adjust your vocal. It'll put you in tune. That's why they call it auto-tune. Yeah. And it'll put you in tune. It, it, you know, if you're not singing. Man, when I started, remember what I said to you. You know, you would go on stage. You'd follow these incredible vocalists. And you went out on stage. If you didn't, if you didn't hit your mark, you got told about it when you came off stage. I'm sure. And and there was there there was no room our margin for mistake you you yeah. went out the best you could now these guys a lot of a lot of them not all not all of them there are some really great young tribute artists out there today mm -hmm. you named one a little while ago bill cherry bill cherry's great uh another elvis a young kid named victor trevino oh sure uh, 
And there's a kid named Cody Slaughter. He's pretty spooky. He, he does a great job. Yeah, Cody is amazing. You know Young him? Guy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of young performers that are just incredible, and uh, they try, they 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 care uh, yeah. about what they do, you know. But uh, you know what, Steve? It, it it's bothersome to me as as a consumer of entertainment that in some cases, and correct me, please, if I'm wrong, but in some cases. Whole shows are being auto-tuned programmed. Oh yeah, they're even uh, a lot of the a lot of the shows are even tracked now. They're not even they're not even singing. Yeah, and you're getting that with the professionals as well. I mean, I mean yeah. the actual artists because well, they, they, you know, they you know they're great in the studio. They oh they can sing their their hearts out in the studio. Because yeah. they've got the auto-tuning, but now they got to go out and go on tour. This is why you don't see these people touring. Yeah. They can't perform. And, it, you know, it kind of reminds me, it's almost, you almost have to shake your head sometimes when you think of Millie Vanilli. Because Millie Van essentially, what was Millie Vanilli doing, what they're doing now? But exactly Millie right. Vanilli... They crucified those two guys. They those two guys over the coals. Oh, my God. The coals, but yeah. they weren't singing. Yeah, to the point where one guy killed himself. Yeah. Which is sad. Now you've this, got shows. This business is not, a, uh, this business is not for, the, for the meek. A lot of no, people think. You know, you know my, my, my family, it, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, Everybody thinks that, you know, well, Steve's, you know, he he's just playing. He's in his basement. You know, he's just he's the goofy guy in the basement. Now, yeah. this is a business and it's a cutthroat business. Yeah, it is. And it's a hard business. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I can say, Angelo, that I absolutely adored about meeting John Stewart and him teaching me the trade. Uh, one of the biggest things that he taught me that, I'll, you know. There's three things. I've said it a little earlier, but I'll say it again. When you walk on stage, you've got to look like the character. Then yeah. you've got to open your mouth and you've got to sound like the character. Then you've got to act like the character. Absolutely. He said, you know, you're only out there for 15, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He said, but you got to leave your heart and soul out there. Absolutely. You've got to, you've got to make them think that they are watching, that you're the only thing. Because in the Legends and Concerts show, as it used to be, every 10 to 15 minutes, that show was taking on a completely different, as I named earlier, as I said earlier. At any oh, given sure. time, you could see, you could see um, who, you know, Michael Jackson. Then, then, the, then the stage completely changes. You've got uh, Bette Midler on stage. You, uh, it just changes. I mean, right, Rod Stewart, Elton John, every, every 15, every 10, 15 minutes, that show changes and that room changes. And Absolutely. you've got to keep those people interested. Those people have got to sit on the edge of their seats wanting more. 
It's remarkable. It absolutely today, is. Today, you know, not, I'm not taking anything away from our dancers. The dancers, the dancers are, they're just as valuable as the musicians and the acts. Oh my God, but, sure. But the, but the show, the show, uh, the shows now, a lot of them revolve around the dancers. Because well, let's, they don't let's talk about that for a second, Steve. Who's the choreographer uh, when you when you started with the show? Oh, for when, when I was in the show. Yeah. There, there, there was a gentleman by the name of Bobby Bowling's. Great. Did a great job. I remember uh, when I saw the first time I saw you at, at Bally's. I remember there was a heavy emphasis on dancing, a heavy, heavy emphasis on dancing. And, and I thought there were probably at any given time, six to eight dancers. Too at many. Any, yeah. Some performers need, and it, and it's nothing against the performer, but yeah. the performer, you take somebody like a Frank Sinatra, Frank yeah. Sinatra, you know, after a couple songs, it, there's no action on stage. He just stands there. Sure. Whereas you got a you got a character like Tina Turner. That's that woman's all over the stage. Oh my God! And sure. Jones, Elvis Presley, uh, Little Richard. These are acts. These are these are in your face acts. But some of these other acts, they require the dancers to enhance that performance. But not. But a but a, a dancer should not over over emphasize. They, and they I'm shouldn't be. I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I was going to point out as a criticism, uh, and I've, I've seen a lot of performances of legends both in Atlantic City and in Las Vegas when I lived there. One of the things that bothered me was to some extent, to a large extent, in fact, the dancers overshadowed or took away from the performance of let's say, um, a Little Richard or, um, you know, uh, Tina Turner. When you're busy, you're busy looking at, at the line of girls in the back instead of looking at the guy or woman in the front, there's a problem. That's where, that's where it's opened up the, the door for some of these performers that aren't that good. Yeah. See, performer will will overpower that stage that you don't need all that fluff and yeah. i don't mean that with any disrespect to dancers my uh my um uh my wife was a dancer and and i she choreographs all my shows that right. i that i put out so i'm i'm not knocking dancers in any way shape or form i'm i'm only i'm only talking about as far as the impersonators go the right. tribute the tribute artists absolutely uh, you know you know you know what i mean so but, how uh, uh, how will uh, las vegas recoup how will they recover and uh, uh I'm not sure right now I, I i don't know i look uh this coronavirus is, has has touched everybody it certainly has and it it's uh, there's more there's more to, to what meets the eye, Angela. A lot there, more meets meets the eye. There really is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it's a shame. Right well, here in Las Vegas, right here in Las Vegas, we've got uh, 
like 3,700 cases and 76 deaths. Yeah. And I believe we've got uh, 700,000 people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, there's a... This is crazy. And It, it and is. I mean, uh, you know, New Jersey here uh, is still under lockdown uh, and has been for quite some time and probably will be till at least the end of May and possibly middle June at this point. The governor here has um, has not issued a, a reopen date. Um, what he's holding off for, I don't know. I got a suspicion. Um, I think there are um, hands at work here that go far above uh, the presidential level, um, covertly, um, and surreptitiously, in fact, you know, you, I want you to think about this. And I want people listening to this to think about this. This is flu season. This is the traditional time of flu season. It's my opinion and my opinion only that what we're seeing here is nothing more than the flu. And we're being told it's called coronavirus as a means by which to put fear into people to control them, you know? And there are a lot of people that are asleep to what's going on. They're not aware or awake, or they just believe uh, the narrative. Don't, um, don't, don't misunderstand, Angelo. Don't misunderstand. There is a virus out there. Oh, absolutely. And, and people are dying. I don't think that the virus... I don't think that it's your typical virus. Uh, you know. Oh, I absolutely it, agree. It's, I absolutely uh, agree. Yeah. And, it's, and, I, and I, I absolutely concur with you. There's certainly our governor, a, our governor out here has, you know, he's closed the place. He's closed the, the, the city down, the state. He's closed it down. But th some things that just don't make sense to me that, you know, I can go. Uh, I can go to the liquor store. Yeah, but I can't. I can't go to the vitamin store. Go figure that one out. <laughs> why would I, you? I, I don't understand just, that. It doesn't make any sense. I can go to Walmart and I can go to uh, Home Depot, but I can't go to church. Now I look. Down in, what is it? I think it's Alabama, not Alabama. I forget where it is. I just saw this, that they're arresting pastors for having church services outside. Yes. But they're letting criminals out of prison. Yeah. We've got, we've got videos yeah. You know, they, they, this just happened. Last week, two guys uh, from Burksfield, uh, California. Yeah. Two doctors. What two doctors. Dr. Yep. Dr. Dan Erickson and Artson. I can't think of the guy's last name. But these are doctors. They're DOs. Yes. No, they're, not, they're not MDs. They're DOs. Sure. But that's, homo, that's homopathic medicines. Right. But they have, they're on the battlefield. They are at, at, uh, uh, 
Bakersfield Hospital. Sure. And they're saying they, they, they put up, they did a whole thing yeah. about this, about this, and YouTube took it down. They, they, they all, heavily redacted it. They heavily censored it. Oh, oh, completely. Yeah, but at first they took it down, Angela. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you yeah, it don't went from, with the narrative that's going on, they're going to take it down. Well, and, you know, and for those people who want to call me a conspiracy nut, I gladly accept that title. Uh, I will tell you that there is a movement going on right now to suppress liberty, to control the population, to depopulate the population uh, in accordance with the Bilderberg plan, the Council of Nine, which most people don't even know what I'm talking about. This is fabulous. And, and I'm really, going, really going to go down this road. I'm going there. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's all part of the bigger picture. If you want to control people, what's the first thing you do? You control the media. The media will set forth your narrative. What's the first thing you do? You take the handbook from Nazi Germany and you just replay it. And this yep. is what you'll get. And this is what they got. And this is what they got. You know, there are... Uh, there are a great number of people who are waking up to the fact that they know something's wrong. They can smell a dead fish in the water. Uh, but now uh, the, the question becomes, how do I pluck the fish out of the water without dirtying my hands? Everybody wants to do something, but nobody wants to take action. You can talk all you want. You can talk all you want. But unless you're prepared... It well, people came over here back in the early 1800s and early, uh, you know, 1900s. They came over here from all over, from Italy, Poland, Ireland, you yeah. name it. Yes, sir. All over, from Germany. Yep. They came from everywhere and all walks of life. But they all came through Ellis Island. They Absolutely. all came through. They all came through legally. Absolutely. And how anybody doesn't understand the process. That's all. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. It sure. isn't that nobody's welcome in this country. But everybody wants to be here, and we've got to be careful with what comes in. Well, and that's the problem. Uh, you know, when you take... Look, uh, at, look, when you, look what Trump did. Look what Trump did as far as, you know, he went back. This was early. This was January, around the 21st. He stopped. He stopped. He wanted to ban the flights coming in from, from uh, China. And the Democrats, they turned around. I'm, I'm sorry. But the Democrats turned around and called him, uh, said that he was a xenophobe and that he was racist. How yeah. could you do that? But now, now they're turning around and they're saying, look what he's done. He didn't yeah. do it enough. Well, sure. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't.
because they don't want this man. They will go to any length. They don't want this man to be president. Absolutely. And there are. Joe Biden has, and whether it be blindly or truthfully, has been accused of sexual sexual assault. There's not even on CNN, on MSNBC. There's not even a mention of it. Sure. Not even a mention. Like I said, Steve, if you want to control the narrative, you control the media. Who controls the media? Government. People George need to understand. George Soros. That I can't Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yep, George Soros. Soros. Um, he is. Uh, he is a, a guy that you know. They talk about movers and shakers. He's the mover and he's the shaker. Let's be real clear about it. One man. And he's heavily, heavily connected to those two groups that I mentioned, the Bilderberg Group and the Council of Nine. People need to understand that. The other thing people need to understand is you'll do and obey what the government tells you to do and obey, or you'll pay a heavy heavy fine for it, and you'll face the repercussions for it. There are people who have risked their lives to speak the truth uh, at great risk to themselves and their families. And those people in my minds are heroes. They will always be heroes to me. People like, uh, call, him, call him a conspiracy nut, but Alex Jones is one of those people. Glenn Beck is one of those people that will stand up for freedom and liberty. You know, and uh, I actually uh, was forced to take down today a comment that I put up because, it, you know, it offended somebody. And that's highly unlike me to do, uh, to take anything down that I've written. But out of respect for this person, I took it down. And I'll tell you that uh, it wasn't an easy thing for me to do. I'm a person that speaks my mind. I will back up everything I say. I will point to the evidence of my words and let people decide for themselves. Angelo, uh, Sunday, Sunday, I put up on Facebook, I put up a, you know, last, last week Trump went through hell. Uh, yeah. Everybody saying that, oh, you know, he says, telling everybody to drink bleach. I mean, that, 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 that's insane. It's yeah. insane. He did not say that. I know that. Referring, he was referring to, and what I'm getting ready to tell you, he was referring to using ultraviolet light going inside the body. Yeah. There's a company, AYTU, Bioscience. It's a lab and a pharmacy. They've been in business for a long time. They are FDA funded and um, what do they call that? Um, honored or whatever it is. Okay, mm-hmm. they 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 are working with Mount uh, with with Cedar Sinai Hospital. Okay, sure. and John Hopkins. They have got uh, it's called a healing light. It's ultra yes. light, and it goes down your throat and goes into your lungs, and this ultraviolet light. The UV, it kills off the bacteria. Yeah. Because as I said, 
This is not your normal virus. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Don't claim to be. My opinion, I'm giving to you. And But I'm telling you that this is not a normal virus because the way it affects the lungs, it shuts them down. It turns, yeah. they turn into concrete. Yeah. And well, what's happening, Steve, I mean, because I'm going to clarify and bring home the point that you're making. What it does is it, this virus attaches to the protein in your lungs. Yeah. And it solidifies, it turns the mucus into a heavy, thick, non-breathable liquid. Right. Because the mucus paste. in your lungs is a breathable, it, yeah, paste. It turns it into like a glue. And that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. And if you have access to pharmaceuticals that are FDA approved, that can at least in some regard either reverse the process, B, cure it, or C, dramatically slow it down, my money is on putting some emphasis into that research well they say they say this virus they to, to describe it would be and and i don't know if the average person can comprehend this or not but imagine being in a plane and all of a sudden you we lose altitude all yeah. of a sudden you're going to lose all oxygen it's Absolutely. cut off completely cut off yeah that is what they are saying so you know when they tell you that you're sitting in there and and, and if we should lose if we should lose altitude this little mask will fall from the sky and you put it on you know they, they that's been going we've heard that for how long sure so without that if you don't have that you're done yeah Absolutely. you're done and that is what they are equating this to. Now, this, this company, I put this video up, this bioscience, this A-U-T-A-Y-T-U uh, bioscience company. Yep. I put up a video on Sunday morning that described all this. They are working with Cedar sinai Hospital. Okay? Yeah. That's a major, that's a, that's a well-known institution sure it is absolutely youtube took down that video yep you know why because it spoke the truth i'll tell you what happened with these two doctors they did a press conference that lasted in excess of two hours almost two and a half hours they put up about 15 minutes of it after they heavily redacted it. Because what these doctors were saying is that social distancing, the, another catch term, by the way, where did we hear that one before? World War II, by the way. Social distancing. This is not a new term. It's new to this generation of people. Keep in mind that a lot of people living today were not alive during World War II. So they're hearing this term for the first time, social distancing, separating people. How do you get to people? Separate them, divide and conquer. 
Okay. These two doctors are saying that's more detrimental than the disease. Why? Because human beings are not intended to be alone. They're not intended to be separate. We're not wired to be separate. We're not supposed to be separate. You know? And it goes against the grain of everything that we've been taught growing up. We've all been taught, Steve, these words. One nation under God. Okay? That means all people. It doesn't mean one nation under God six feet apart. Right. You understand? I'll say it that way. At the risk of having this video removed. And you're I dare them to remove it. You're exactly right. Listen, they found, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But if if I were to take, you know, those doctors, if I had the full video, which I did of yeah. those doctors that I put up and they took that down, I passed it. I passed it around to friends and stuff like that yeah. at the risk. And it's my opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's part of our, our First Amendment rights, isn't it? Well, enjoy them while you still have them because you won't have them for much longer. That's the problem. They don't want you to have an opinion. But these doctors, when, they, when, when, this, when this video was up there, they, they stopped. They, they were talking about this and letting... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to... To hold back. No, don't hold back. Well, it, I found out that if you can video, when you see something, video it. Then you can put it on your page under your video. But Absolutely. they can't take it away from you. Exactly. Once you put it up there. Absolutely. Using yes, YouTube, right. you're you're you gotta follow their their demands. You gotta go with what they say. People need to understand, too, YouTube is heavily in bed with the U.S. government. They are working heavily with the FBI and the CIA and other scrubbing agencies. They go over every, every video that is put up is scrubbed, which means they, they fast through it. With, with this technology, I still don't understand, quite frankly. But they're able to scrub through these videos at lightning speed to the, to the tune of 100,000 a day on average. On average. Now, keep that in mind. Because on average, 500,000 videos a day are uploaded to YouTube. A half a million videos a day are uploaded to YouTube. A hundred thousand of them right off the bat are being scrubbed for content. They want to control what you see, what you hear, what information you have access to. They want to control every aspect of your life. This is George Orwell's 1984 come to life. Simple as that. Better yet, Angelo, it's the Holy Bible come to life. Amen. And I don't worry about that. I'm going to tell you why. 
because you and I have read the end of the book. If you're smart, I tell people, if you're smart, take a Bible and read the end chapter first. Then read the beginning. Guess what? The good don't guys miss, win. Don't miss Luke and Matthew, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, uh, this is a, uh, to, to quote one doctor, a doctor, this is a virus of biblical proportions. And it literally is. Well, Steve, this has been a very fast two hours and 30 minutes. This is part one. You will be back for part two. I hope, uh, I hope your viewers enjoyed it. I want to thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Steve. And I, um, I'm very proud of what you've, what you've accomplished in, you know, in your thank time. You. Uh, just an old rock and roll DJ. That's I, who I I want you to know something, Angelo. I love this country. I love it more than anything, and more importantly, I love my son, and I want to see him and his children go into their elder age I want to see us live life as you and I know it absolutely and they will you know why because I read the end of the book and the good guys win on that note for Steve McCoy I'm Psychic Medium Angelo join us next time for part two of life in Sin City. All right, folks, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks.